Well, let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've looked for something and you couldn't find it, but then you realized it was right in front of you the entire time? Has that ever happened to you guys? It seems to happen to me all the time. You're looking for something and you swear it's right here. You can't see it. You can't find it. And you come back later. It's right where you thought it was. You know, it happens to me all the time. I go to the store and I'm like, I swear it's right here. Like every time I come to the store, it's right here. Why did they move it? And then you look over one shelf and there it is. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes I'll be at home and I'll be like, hey, Courtney, have you seen my sunglasses? I've looked everywhere for my sunglasses. I can't find them. And she's like, hey, they're on your head. Seriously. Or how about this one? You guys are ever, ever pull this one? I cannot find my phone. I just do not know where my phone is. Hey, kids, have you seen my phone? Yeah, Dad, you're on it. Oh, yeah, right. It happens to me all the time, and I, I don't know about you guys if it happens to you, but it just seems like a reality in life. A few summers ago, Courtney and I and a group of friends, we were, gonna take, we were taking a missions trip to go see Oscar in Guatemala, and there were some friends with several churches, and if you've ever been on a mission trip, you know one thing you have to do well in advance of that missions trip is make sure you've got your passport. You guys might know where I'm going with this one. So I looked and I saw my passport and then about six months go by and it's the day before we leave. And so we're packing the bag. I'm throwing in socks and flip-flops and all the things you need to go to Guatemala. I'm not sure why I brought flip-flops, but I brought them anyways. And so I'm packing my bag and I decide, oh yeah, I got to grab my passport. So I, I said to Courtney, hey, you got your passport? Yeah, I've got mine. Okay. So I go to the drawer where my passport was. Guess what? Couldn't find it. It's not in there. Of course, I'm, you guys know when you first notice something's gone, you start to get a little, like, a little hot, right? A little anxious. You're like, oh, man, uh-oh, this isn't good. So I, I start pouring through everything. I'm going through the file cabinet, every file. I go through my junk drawer, pull everything out. Not there. I'm digging in my bag. I drive to the church, look through all of the drawers and things I got at the church. I get all the way home, and I think, this is bad. I'm starting to panic at this point, right? I'm like fully flushed. If I had hair, I'd be standing up. And I'm like, Courtney, we're going to hope they can change the plane ticket to somebody else's name because I'm not going, blah, blah, blah. I walk back in the office, pull out the drawer where it should have been, and guess what I found? Passport sitting right there, just right there the whole time. And it's frustrating, but it happens. It happens in life. And it doesn't just happen in our lives. Interestingly, it continually happened in Jesus' life. You know, if you look through the Gospels and you look through the account of Jesus' ministry, you see over and over again people who were looking right at Jesus, but they missed him. People who had Jesus doing amazing things, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, helping lame people walk, curing skin diseases, and yet they missed him. The Pharisees and the religious leaders over and over again tried to say, who are you? Who sent you? On whose authority are you doing these things? Give us a sign. It's like, come on, guys. It's right in front of you. Jesus is doing all this right in front of you. How are you missing him? But it wasn't just the religious leaders and the people on the outside. It was also his friends, his, his followers. They, they, they even missed it. Jesus so many times told them, here's what I'm doing and here's what to expect, and they missed it all the way up until the very end. You know, in the chapter 24 of Luke, you see this really amazing account of Jesus. And Jesus has gone to the cross. He's given his life. He's been buried, and, and he's risen from the grave. And that Easter morning, Mary and, and some of the, uh, the ladies went to the tomb to look for Jesus, and he wasn't there. So they ran back, and they told Peter and John, and they ran into the tomb, and they didn't find him. 
And so now there's all this like stirring and conversation. Where's Jesus? What happened? How did we miss it? Well, Luke 24 tells us that that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking down the Emmaus Road. And, G- and, and, and we find out it's Jesus, but at the time they didn't realize it. That This man comes and starts walking with them. And he starts to listen in on their conversation, and he hears what they're talking about. So he says to, to the two men, Jesus says, well, what are you guys talking about? And they say, well, you must be new. Where have you been? You've been living under a rock? There's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, and he was amazing. But he just was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. We saw the tomb. It had a stone rolled in front of it. And now that stone's rolled away, and he's gone. And we don't know what's going on. And so Jesus walks with these two men. They still don't know who he is. They get all the way to the village where they're traveling, and he, they invite him in for dinner. And Jesus is like, sure. So he sits down. They break bread. And as soon as, the, as soon as they break bread, they see it's Jesus. Oh, my. We just spent all this time walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus. It was him. Can you believe it? And in that moment, Jesus starts to teach them something incredible that I think he wants to teach us today. I want you to see what Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 27. It says this, And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the law, and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And so Jesus is saying, hey, guys, let me show you back to the very beginning how the Bible has been about me the entire time. You guys missed it. Let me bring you up to speed. Later that day, Jesus goes to the upper room where Peter and John and James and Thomas and Andrew and all these guys are hanging out, and they're all wondering where Jesus is, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is in the room, right? And they're like, whoa! And Jesus says, peace be with you. And they realize, this is Jesus. Here he is. He's in front of us. This is amazing. And Jesus, in Luke 24, Luke goes on to tell us in verse 44, Jesus says this. He says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while... I was still with you. These are the words you missed, that I told you over and over again what was going to happen. He said that everything written about me in the law of Moses, again, the first five books, the Pentateuch, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, forefront, don't miss what Jesus is saying here. This is amazing. Jesus is saying is that the Bible, the book that you have in your hand, or that warm glow of light on your face, everything written in this book, is about Jesus. The, the law, the Old Testament, the Psalms, the Psalms of David that we love, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and Psalm 23, Psalm 46, God, you are my Lord, my refuge, and my strength. All of that was about Jesus, and all of it was pointing to Jesus and also the prophets. Just think about the prophets, right? Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, All of it was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is telling us something incredible here. If you think about it, this book, this book, 66 books, written, inspired by God, by 44 different authors, over the course of 3,500 years, full of great stories of life and history and archaeology, tips about marriage and how to spend your money and how to love your neighbor, All of it from Revelation, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 tells one story. And this book shouts one name, and that is the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. That is, I like that. That was a good amen. That is, this book has one central theme, and it is Jesus. But here's the deal. Here's the reality. If we don't read this book looking for Jesus, we may just miss Jesus. 
And I think sometimes in our life, we can look back over our life and see how many times we've missed God at work. I don't know about you, but I've had so many times I've looked back and said, oh, God, you were there. God, you were working. You were in that situation, but I missed it. How do we stop missing it? Jesus says it's by looking for Jesus in everything we do, and that's starting with his word. Charles Spurgeon, you guys know, is one of my favorite dead preachers. I think everybody needs a favorite dead preacher, so go find one. If you don't have one, you guys can share. I'll share. You guys can have Charles Spurgeon, too. He's great. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. And here's what Spurgeon says about this very thing. He says this. He says, for every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis. The metropolis. Sounds so good. The metropolis of the scriptures, that is Christ. And my dear brother and sisters, your business when I get to a text is to say, now, what is the road to Christ? How does this text point me to Jesus? How is God at work in what I'm reading right now? Because what happens is the more that you look for Jesus in the words, the more power there is in the Bible. And the more you see God at work, the more power there is for your life because it connects you to the power of God. You know, for the past month, we've been in the book of Jonah, and it's been an amazing book. Anybody else had fun being in the book of Jonah? I've learned so much new facts about Jonah these last month as we've studied through it. It's been an incredible book about a guy who God called to a place he didn't want to go, and there's so many life lessons in Jonah, like you cannot run the grace of God, and God's going to swallow you in a whale or a big fish until you surrender and realize that his plan's bigger than yours, Right? And that God is the God of second chances. And that God wants you to see people and the world through his perspective. It's a great book. But if you were with us last week, you know how the book ends. It ends on a cliffhanger. You see that Jonah is sitting outside the city gate, watching the city, hoping that God destroys it. And God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, why are you sitting out here all mad and angry? Don't you see something more is going on here? Can't you see through my perspective, and then it just stops. There's, there's nothing else. We don't know what Jonah does. We don't know if Jonah just grabs his suitcase and goes home. We don't know if Jonah goes into the city and starts discipling people. We don't know if he just doesn't pay attention to God and just stands there. We don't know. What happens? Why do we even have the book of Jonah? What happens next? But I want you to see that there's a clue, and it's in the book of Matthew. It's in the book of Matthew, and it's a clue from Jesus on why the book doesn't end. And I think it's because Jesus wants us to see that there's more to the story. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those, and let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Let me just bring you up to speed. Jesus has, has preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' ministry is public. Jesus is out healing the, healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and teaching about the coming kingdom of God. But the religious leaders couldn't figure it out. They didn't have their Sherlock Holmes skills in tune yet. And so they go to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, and they say this. They say in verse 38, And some of the scribes and the Pharisees answering him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus is like, did you see the guy I just healed right over here? Did you see that girl that was dead that I brought back to life over there? That guy right there had a demon. You didn't see him speak his entire life, and now he's over there whistling. Like, like, like that guy is healed. Do you need a bigger sign? And Jesus says this. Notice what he says. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except, grab your highlighter, grab your pen, except the sign of Jonah. 
No sign will be given to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, or whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And if that's not enough, verse 41, then the men, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, which if you were with us last two weeks ago is pretty weak, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Did you catch what Jesus just said? He said, if you want to see a sign, you don't have to look any further than the sign of Jonah. He's saying the story isn't done yet. That the story of Jonah ended on a cliffhanger because there was something greater to come. That the story wasn't done yet. It was just like pushing pause. Remember, anybody have an old VHS player? You guys know you had to walk up and actually push the pause button, right? And it takes you a while. You got to get off the couch, walk to the TV, open the cabinet door. You guys know what I'm talking about? Push the button, right? Takes a while. Took a while between God pushing pause after Jonah and Jesus coming. About 600 years. But now Jesus is here to finish the story. And notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that Jonah's life is actually written to point us to him. That God uses Jonah, Jonah for us to see Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Now, when I was in seminary, I took a class called Old Testament Survey. And in Old Testament Survey, we learned about something called biblical typology. Somebody say typology. Biblical typology. You guys are learning something today. So biblical typology is the, the study of looking at symbols in the Old Testament that point forward to what God would do in the future. And so you, you look through the Old Testament, you see all of these signs and symbols and, and illustrations of something that God would come and do later. And you and I now, we can look back at our New Testament, so we can look all the way back, and we can see all of these signs and types that pointed us forward to what Jesus would ultimately come and do. And so when you read your Old Testament, you can see things like this all the time. You see the imagery and, and the, the idea of the, the shepherd and his sheep. You see David write in Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd. And then you see Jesus come in John 10 say, I am the good shepherd. Jesus pointing back to the words of David and all the imagery of sheep and shepherds and the idea was Jesus came to fulfill all of those things. We look back at the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial law and this sacrificial system that seems so strange. Well, it pointed forward to the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us on the cross. And so what we see all throughout the Bible is these types, these glimpses, these, these foreshadowings, these symbols and pictures of what God would one day come and do through Jesus. And this is why we have to learn to read our Bible for all it's worth and to look for Jesus on every page. Because one thing that God wants to do is he wants to use regular things in our lives to help us see God's truths. That's why we like to play the Ten Commandment game around here. You guys love the Ten Commandment game, don't you? You know, a lot of times we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, well, this is the list, the parameters that God is giving us for life. These are the things that we need to do if we're going to live for God. But God gave us the Ten Commandments to help us to see that we can't keep the commandments on our own that we need something bigger than ourselves, that we needed a Savior. See, God likes to do these things to point truths to us through his word. And that is what Jesus says Jonah is for us. Jonah is a type. It's a glimpse. It's a clue of what God would one day do. 
And so this morning, I want to just dig into this briefly. And as we close and finish up and wrap up our series on Jonah, I want to really see four ways, really quickly, how God uses Jonah to point us to Jesus. So uh, we're going to jump back between Jonah and Matthew a bunch. So feel free to have your Bible out and your phone. We're going to be starting in Jonah chapter 1. The first way that we see God use Jonah to point us to Jesus is this, that God called both on a mission. That God called both on a mission. If you go back to Jonah chapter 1, you see from the very beginning that God calls out to Jonah. Jonah 1, 1. It says, God called out to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it for the evil that has come up before me. But what we see in verse 3 is that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So we see that God called Jonah on a mission. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. That God had a mission for Jonah to go and take a word of repentance to the people in Nineveh. Because Nineveh and the Assyrians was a very evil, terrible place. God would often use prophets to speak judgment out against Israel and Judah and neighboring nations. And so that was Jonah's job. But Jonah said, nope, I'm out of here. And took off for Joppa. And hopped on a ship and said, I'm going to go the opposite direction. So God called Jonah on a mission. But what did Jonah do? He disobeyed God. But I think in this story, God wants us to, to see ourselves. And to see how easy it is for us to fall into the same line of thinking. Because for Jonah, what Jonah thought was that disobedience seemed better than God's way. And I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times in my life where I've thought that disobedience just seemed better at first. Anybody ever been there? Like midnight nachos? It always seems good at first, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about you. For you, it might be pizza or it might be ice cream. For me, it's midnight nachos. Like some shredded cheese on some chips with a couple jalapenos and I'm good to go, right? It always seems, and that second plate always seems better than the first, doesn't it? But what happens? Next day, you just feel terrible. Midnight nachos are a terrible idea, right? Midnight pizza, terrible idea, but it seems good at first. When my alarm goes off at 5.45 in the morning and I don't want to go to the gym, you know what seems good at first? Snooze button, right? Anybody else here a snoozer? You guys don't want to admit it, like two of you. You guys all snooze. Let's be real. The snooze button always seems better at first, but you know what actually feels worse when not working out, right? Like, our disobedience always at first seems like a good idea, but then it takes us the wrong way. What's hard is obedience. Obedience is hard. Getting up at 5.45 to go to the gym, that's hard. That doesn't feel good. Saying no to that late night run to McGill's, that's really hard, right? That's really hard. But you know what feels better later? Your body, right? <laughs> like, your body feels way better later with no nachos or McGill's and going to the gym. Working hard at work, it's hard. It takes a lot of effort. But you know what's going to be better on the other end? Everything. And so I think what we're seeing in Jonah that God wants us to see is that disobedience may seem better at first, and it seems easier, but it's always the wrong way. And in Jesus, we see something amazing. We, we see something incredible is that Jesus came obediently to do what God asked him to do. Rich Wilkerson Jr. is a pastor down in Miami, and he says this. He says that, that sin feels good for a season, but always costs you more than you intended. And God used Jonah to prepare something amazing for us, and that is to see the obedience of Jesus. Because obedience in what Jesus did for us leads you and I to be able to live the best life possible, to live the abundant life that God came to bring us. Think about what Jesus did. 
Think about the mission God called Jesus on. Here is the Son of God, the man who spoke the world into existence, the one who created everything, the Word of God, the Logos, and he stepped out of heaven and left his home and came here. He was born in Bethlehem in a manger, who lived his life, grew up with brothers and sisters, very meager circumstances, king of heaven, living in very meager circumstances, takes a job as a craftsman and a carpenter, very hard job. And then when he enters his public ministry, he didn't stay at the Hilton, at the Hilton or the Hyatt. What did he do? He slept on the ground for three years, laid his head on a rock. This is the son of God. He came on a mission to do something incredible. He came to rescue. You know, John 3.16 gives us our mission, his mission. That Jesus, that Jesus came for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But don't miss John 3.17 because the mission that God gave for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came on a mission. Jonah ran. Jesus, Jonah ran away. Jesus ran in. See, God sent both men on a mission, and Jonah ran away, but Jesus ran in. And that's really good news because we needed someone to run in for us. See, often I think we feel like Jonah when the mission gets hard, we want to run out. When the when the situation gets uncomfortable, we want to get out of it. Jesus shows us that what we needed was not simple, easy. What we needed was the hard thing done, that Jesus would come and live out his mission, and instead of running out, would run in. See, Jesus is telling us by pointing back to Jonah that something greater than Jonah is here, that what we needed is now here. Because Jonah stood outside the gates and hated his enemies and refused to give them the message they needed and to give them the love they needed. But Jesus, on the other hand, went to the cross for us. And what did he say while he was on that cross? Do you guys remember what he said in Luke chapter 23? Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Are you serious, Jesus? He's hanging from the cross taking his last breath, and he's saying, Father, forgive them as they hurl insults at me and as they point fingers at me and they miss what I came to do. It's because of the love of God. And on that mission, because of that mission, Jesus obediently followed it to the very end. See, God showed us Jonah to show us that we needed somebody better than Jonah, somebody greater than Jonah, and what we needed was Jesus. But not just that. Also, we see that yeah, they both were called on a mission, but they both had to make a sacrifice. Think back to the story of Jonah. Jonah goes down to Joppa, hops on that ship, and is going to go to Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the other directions. But what happened? God sends a storm. And in this storm, the sailors, these Phoenician sailors, who are professional sailors, by the way, they're like, what's going on? We're going to die. And they go downstairs in verse, verse 5, Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. They go downstairs, and what's Jonah doing? Sleeping. Like Jonah's asleep. And these sailors are like, Jonah, wake up. What's going on? Pray to your God. Hopefully he'll rescue us in this messy situation. You know, a few weeks ago when we looked at this story the first time, we said that one of the realities of sin is that sin has consequences. That sin brings with it consequences. And the consequence of Jonah's sin and disobedience was that these sailors now were facing death. But what happens to Jonah? He brought consequences to other people, but now Jonah's lulled to sleep by sin. 
But Jonah's been lulled to sleep. He's sleeping underneath, and they're saying, what are you doing? How can you do this? But it's really interesting. If you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus went to sleep in a boat too. You guys remember the story in Mark chapter 4? Jesus and his disciples are out doing ministry, and Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and head to the other side. Remember, God called Jonah to the other side, right? To Nineveh. Jesus is now saying to his disciples, let's go to the other side. So they get in a boat, and these are professional fishermen. And they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm starts to blow. And they get really scared, and they get really worried. And what do they do? They notice that Jesus is what? Sleeping, right? And they say to Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you care? We're all about to die. We're going to perish. What does Jesus do? He stands up. He says, peace, be still. And the wind just stops. And what happens to the disciples? What do they do? They look at it and they're like, who is this? Right? Like, what is going on? Like, even the winds and the sea obey him. Like, who, what is going on? This is crazy. Notice the picture. Jonah and Jesus, both asleep. One lulled to sleep by sin. The other in control of nature and confident with a clear conscience asleep. God is teaching us so much through the story of Jonah. That Jesus has the power over the winds and the waves. And so there's a difference between being lulled to sleep by sin and with a clear conscience going to sleep because you know the Savior has power over anything that you're going to face in your life. Amen, church? Jesus has power over it all. So God uses Jonah as a clue, a type, and a shadow of what was to come. So back to Jonah. Jonah now it, it wakes up, and he's in the storm. He realizes the storm's his fault. The, the sailors are really scared, and they say to Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And they're like, no way, man. We're not going to do that. Are you serious? You're going to die. And he's like, it's the only way. Jonah realized in that moment that his sin had consequences and that he had to sacrifice himself for those sailors. They didn't want to do it, but Jonah said this is the only way, so they threw Jonah over the water and the, and the, the waves stop. It all ceases right in that moment. But realize this, that Jonah deserved the storm because of his disobedience. Jonah deserved the storm and, and was willing to give up his life so the sailors could be saved. But Jesus, unlike Jonah, he didn't deserve the storm. He was the sinless son of God, the perfect son of God. Jesus didn't deserve the storm, but he was willing to give his life for us. Jonah offered up his life to save sailors because of disobedience. Jesus offered up his life to save humanity because of his love. Reminds me of John 15, 13. When Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, someone laid down his life for his friends. Isn't it a beautiful thing to think that Jesus laid down his life for you because you're his friend? Both had to make a sacrifice, yet Jesus made his willingly for you. See, don't miss this forefront. Sin always has a price, and sin always has a consequence. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin are death. That there's always a consequence that comes with sin, and sin separates us from God. And no matter how good we try to be, no matter how many good deeds we try to do, no matter how much money we throw at something, it doesn't bridge the gap between our sin and God's holiness. But Jesus knew that the only way to bridge that divide was his life. And he came, and he laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. He took your place, but Jesus didn't just go to the cross for you, forefront. Jesus went to the cross as you, and he took your sin on his back. And because of this, don't miss this, because of this, 
your sin has been wiped clean. And that means wiped clean. That you don't have to keep trying to earn God's grace or God's love. That your past, present, and future sins are all dealt with. That means your past sin, the mistakes you've made, those things that you feel like still follow you, God has taken care of those things. That God has wiped those clean. That that thing does not need to haunt you anymore because God has paid the price. It also means your present sin, those things that we struggle with now. Maybe it's lust, or maybe it's envy, or maybe it's jealousy, or maybe it's greed. Whatever it is, whatever is, you know, you got trying to grab your heart, Jesus has already paid the price for those sins. And that God frees you to follow him and to live your life now for him and not be tied up by the messy stuff of the world. But you know what's even better than all that? Your future sins, the future goofs, the future mistakes, the future times we fall down. Are we still going to mess up in the future? We will. The good news is Jesus went to the cross and paid the sin debt for all of that. And that means nothing that ever comes your way is going to separate you from the love of God. Forefront, that is really good news. We didn't need Jonah to come tell us how to meet God's standard. We needed Jesus to come and meet the standard for us and give his life and trade for us. So we see Jesus uses Jonah to point us, or God uses Jonah to point us to Jesus. And that's why we have to learn to read this book looking for Jesus. Because otherwise, it's like going to a 3D movie and wearing your sunglasses. You're going to miss so much. We need to see Jesus on every page so we see how God is moving in our lives. So God called both on a mission. He called both to make a sacrifice. But also third, real quick, notice, both had a message to share. God called Jonah and said, Jonah, I'm going to give you a second chance. And I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell the Ninevites a message that I have for you. So Jonah goes into the city, and Jonah goes and preaches God's message in a very terrible, pathetic way. He gives a five-word message. Notice what he says. He says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I'm sure God had a lot more for him to say, but that's all he said. But God still used that to change Nineveh. We see the greatest revival in all of the Bible. God gave Jonah a message, but because of Jonah's hard heart, he did the bare minimum. But don't forget, he used Jonah's disobedience to point us to Jesus because Jesus would come and do the maximum. I think I told you guys a few weeks ago, when Jesus entered his public ministry, he did something really bold and amazing. Every Saturday, Jesus would go to the temple, and he would, he would go to the synagogue, I should say, and he would read a scroll. And everybody knew Jesus from Nazareth. It's a really nice kid, this hard worker, this carpenter and craftsman. And he stood up one day, and he grabbed the scroll from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, and here's what he said. He said, you want to hear my message? Here's the message I have to share. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because I have an, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then when Jesus sat down, everybody awkwardly looked at him and said, what just happened? Jesus said, I have a message to share, and that is the message of God's kingdom and your salvation. And Jesus didn't give us the minimum. Jesus gave us every single thing he had. At the end of Jonah chapter 4, we find Jonah sitting in a little booth, looking out over the city, mad at God, hoping that God was going to decimate the Ninevites. And you guys remember the story from last week, a little God grows a plant up over his head, and then God brings a worm to eat the plant, and Jonah gets mad again. 
We see Jonah staring out with hate over the city. But you know what we see in Jesus? The week before Jesus goes to the cross, we see Jesus and his disciples going to Jerusalem for the week of Passover. And Luke 19 tells us that Jesus and his disciples walk up and Jesus looks over the city and he weeps and he cries. Jonah's over the city mad and angry that God rescued them. Jesus is standing over the city crying because of his love, because they haven't got it right yet, because they've missed him. Could you imagine Luke? You know, Dr. Luke, as he's writing this gospel, Luke's got it asking Peter and, and John and, Jane, and, and Andrew and these guys, hey, what was that like? And they're like, Jesus just stopped and just cried over the city. Why? Because he loved the city so much. God uses Jonah to point us to Jesus. Jonah's disobedience point us to Jesus' obedience in such a beautiful way. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent, but Jesus took the punishment of sin on himself. But notice fourth, not just was they both called on a mission, and not just did they both make a sacrifice, and not just did they both have a message to share, but third, they both were away for three days. And forefront, if you're going to remember any of these similarities and types and clues, don't miss this one, because they both were away for three days. And look, look back at chapter one. We ended chapter one with this. Jonah thrown into the sea. Jonah sacrificed himself for the sailors. Jonah just wanted his life to be over because he didn't want to do what God told him to do. And God appointed a big fish to swallow Jonah. And how long was Jonah in the fish? Three days and three nights. See, it took God sending a big fish to get Jonah's attention. It took God sending a big fish and Jonah being in the belly of a whale for three days to get his attention but God uses this not just to get Jonah's attention. God uses this to point forward to the most amazing and impactful event in the history of the universe. That Jesus would come and go to the cross for us and then defeat death. So back to Matthew 12. Jesus, give us a sign. Show us who you are. Jesus said, I'm only going to give you one sign. And it's going to be something that God gave you 600 years ago to point you to what I'm going to do today. And that's the sign of Jonah. And we see that Jesus took our disobedience and God used Jonah's disobedience for good. And Jesus went to the cross and he died a terrible, gruesome death on the cross, was taken down from that cross, was wrapped and buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And three days later, when the ladies went back to that cross or back to that tomb, the stone was rolled out of the way. Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Those cloths were laid nicely in their place. Jesus was alive. And what Jesus did was defeated death for you and for me, for all of eternity. God used Jonah to point us to Jesus. And that truth of what Jesus did after three days in the earth is worth staking your life on. Some people ask me sometimes, do you believe the story of Jonah is real? And I told you week one that I did. But I don't believe the story of Jonah is just real because it's possible. But I also believe the story of Jonah is real because Jesus said it was real. I believe the story of Jonah was real because Jesus said it was real. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to believe the guy that defeated death. Amen? I'm going to believe the one that walked out of the grave. Amen? Amen? 
I'm going to believe the one that death cannot hold him down. And if he says something is true, I'm going to believe it. And if he says something I need to do, I'm going to try my best to do it because that is worth staking your life on because God's love for you is so great that he came and gave everything for you. He spent three days for you. And now through Jesus, we have life and life eternal forever. For friend, I'm going to invite the worship team back on stage. And as we wrap up our time together this morning, I just, if I could send you away with one thing, if you walk away with one thing today, it's this, that God has given us this book to point us to Jesus. And that all throughout this book on every page, it's filled with clues, types, shadows, and glimpses of Jesus, who he was and what he came to do. And God is saying, base base your life on this book. Spend your time in this book and read this book to look for me because when you do, it'll change your life. But don't miss it. Don't miss what God is doing. Earlier this week, I read an article about um, some Chilean astronomers who, in using a new telescope, discovered that there was an asteroid that's actually closer to the Earth than Mercury. Did you guys see this story? It's really interesting. Go on and look it up. New, new technology, they were able to discover that there's an asteroid who, circled the, who circles the sun and actually cuts in front of Mercury. So it's, it's, um, it's actually the closest astronomical body to the Earth. Now, for my whole lifetime, I've always assumed that Mercury was the closest body to the Earth, or to the sun, I should say. But because we have now seen that this asteroid is closer to the sun than Mercury is, it changes the way we look at the solar system. It changes the way we look at the rotations around us, and it helps us to see something that's going to change the way we, we do science in the future, the way we study the solar system in the future. And what does that mean? For decades, people have been looking and pointing telescopes into the outer space, but now they have seen something new, and it's going to change the way we view our, our solar system around us. Forefront, Jesus parachuted into this world for us. And now that we see it, now that we see that God is, is at work and that God is all around us and that Jesus is at, on every page of the Bible and at work in our lives and in our friendships and our relationships, we can't unsee that. And so what Jesus is telling us to do, what God wants us to do is to look for him. Because when you look for him, you'll see it. Because you can't miss it. Because Jesus is right in front of us. I like what Tim Keller says. He says that all change comes from deepening your understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out the changes that understanding creates in your heart. Forefront, the book of Jonah isn't given us to us. The Bible isn't given to us so we can try to be like these characters. The Bible is given to us so we can connect to Jesus the one who came and gave his life for us, who can set us on the path for everlasting life, but can help us live the life God has called us to live right now. Friends, something greater than Jonah is here, and it's Jesus. And when you look for him in life and in all things you do, it'll change everything you do. And we realize that nothing is too big for our God, that our God can overcome anything, and that our God is with us every step of the way. So forefront, here's my challenge for you this week is in your life, as you spend time in God's word, look for Jesus. As you spend time at work and walking through life, look for Jesus. As you think about your relationships, look for Jesus. Because when you look for Jesus, you'll find him, and he'll change you along the way. Would you pray with me?